when watching it, I was going, man, it's going to be hard to pull clips from this movie. <laughs> Hi and welcome to episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. On today's episode, we are continuing our look into the genre of movies that we are calling Christmas-adjacent films by talking about the 2008 film in Bruges. Before we do that, Thomas, can you give us a little bit of, of a recap on what we've talked about in terms of Christmas adjacent movies. Yeah, so, you know, it's been interesting. I've been thinking about this, too, after we talked about uh, Batman Returns and watching this one. And, and I'm, I'm wondering if we're not watching anti-Christmas movies. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And I, 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 think I, think, we'll, we'll... I think with these I think with these two kind of kind of. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, a Christmas movie is a film obviously set at Christmas time, but it usually has an emphasis on family on uh you know someone learning the the meaning of christmas which usually means generosity family redemption good spirit anything like that once again you can trace a lot of it back to a christmas carol as kind of the original christmas narrative that that a lot of these movies draw upon um and so it's it has a lot to do obviously with the visuals you know you want christmas decorations you want music even if you don't have Christmas music necessarily in something like Batman Returns, you've got Danny Elfman doing a Christmassy score, a lot of a lot of jingle bells and, and that sort of thing in the score. Um, yeah, so specifically what we're talking about here are movies that have a lot of these uh, setups, a lot of these tropes that you would think of as a Christmas movie, but aren't necessarily selling us on the Christmas spirit or they, they aren't really making it part of the the uh central themes or the central plot necessarily yeah it's it's usually like kind of a at the it's used as atmosphere or a setting but that atmosphere elevates the story that is being told in some way yeah yeah and it's like we we, we talked about with batman returns everything that we bring to a, a christmas movie all the tropes and the themes that we're aware of can kind of be weaponized like in batman returns to be twisted and and make the film feel a little bit more dark and a little bit more uh, yeah. twisted yeah and usually with a lot of these i guess that's maybe the the anti it's it's funny to where how we're like doing christmas adjacent but also breaking that genre down even to a subgenre of anti-christmas films mm -hmm. in a way yeah. um where the where the christmas setting is used as a way to subvert the story which is very prominent in in horror films or like today with crime films mm -hmm. so so yeah i guess because Thomas, this is an episode you, or this is a movie you picked. So why yep. did you pick this? Why did you pick this movie? Yeah. So today's movie is in Bruges, uh, written and directed by Martin McDonough and uh, Stalling, starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Ray Fiennes. Um, this has been one of my favorite movies since it since it came out. Um, I this was my introduction to Martin McDonough. I had never seen any of his plays, um, but after I saw this movie, like sought them out as much as I could. Anytime I was traveling somewhere where or if one came to Charleston at that time, or when I was in LA, if one came to LA, I'd, I'd go see everything. And of course he's, he's gone on to produce two other films and turn himself into something of a, of an auteur. I think if you can, if yeah. you can combine a uh, play writing <laughs> with, uh, with his three films, I think you can see it, but he's yeah, almost become, he's become a prestige like writer director. Yeah. I feel, but yeah, I, I adore this movie. It's, it's a very dark comedy, but it's, 
it's weirdly like it's very comedic like sometimes when you say dark comedy yeah. i feel like you get the feeling that you're like oh okay it's gonna be like kind of twisted but i'm not gonna laugh out loud but uh <laughs> this one is aiming for you to laugh out loud They're... but to also make you you think about very human themes uh so just a quick summary it's about uh two irish hitmen played by colin farrell and brendan gleason who have been told to hide out in bruges after a hit has gone wrong by their boss who is played by ray fines and so brendan gleason's character his name is ken he loves bruges bruges is in belgium by the way as yeah. the opening narration will tell you <laughs> um he loves bruges he loves the history of it he thinks it's beautiful he's happy to spend their two weeks kind of touring about and, and checking it all out and colin farrell who plays ray is bored to death and doesn't want to be there and we come to find out has something uh, much heavier weighing on his mind from this hit that had gone wrong um a little bit of interesting crew intro uh also this film was produced by peter chernin this was one of the first big films for his uh production house um he's someone who has i've become a fairly prominent director in the time since then so i thought it was interesting to see him pop up and i was like oh yeah peter chernin and mark mcdonough worked together a few times and i pulled it up and this was like really the first thing he's done of note with that production house yeah he named um, it like best exact marigold hotel hotel yeah, like i guess the, afterwards the yeah and that was a yeah. huge hit um yeah. and the uh the score was done by carter burwell who you might know yeah. from from doing a lot of scores for uh the coen brothers would, would you argue this is like a this is a an irish coen brothers oh yeah movie? it's very very coen brothers i mean there's that's the thing with mcdonough it's there's there's tastes of the coen brothers there's there's i've, I've oftentimes heard people call him yeah like the irish tarantino which i i don't think is really fair because i feel like tarantino's whole bit is like criminals kind of talking about nothing to show they're like oh they're just like normal people and and in everything that mcdonough's criminals say there's meaning to it like everything they're talking about that's that's and and that's why i love this movie especially on rewatch because a lot like the first act of this movie you think it's just these two guys like taking the piss at each other but when you go back and rewatch it knowing you know what what comes along afterwards you realize everything they're saying to each other is about what has just happened to them yeah brandon what what are some of your your thoughts the last time i watched this movie i think was actually with you because we watched it in class uh at film school at usc Mm -hmm. and i had seen it initially uh when it first came out i think on like when at the I rent at the video store or whatever. So I always, I like the movie and I've grown to appreciate it more. Say after that class and realizing just kind of how, how well the script is written. Cause McDonough is, does a phenomenal job of making things seem unimportant at first and mm-hmm. then end up becoming important. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think we talked about like basically in, in screenwriting terms, it's called planting and paying off an object or something. So he does that a lot in this movie where he, like, he shows you a thing. It could be just like a character's uh, costume or uh, coins or whatever that seems unimportant at the time. But then later on, he twists it in a way that makes it incredibly important for the plot mm-hmm. and, and, and for the character in some way. But no, I, I said I, it's, it's, I think it's really funny. I think I know it, what's, what's interesting now is, is, is watching it and seeing how what would happen if this came out today because it's the language and things that they're talking about is very non-pc oh yeah i know i know that can turn people off because i've read a few like reviews on like say letterbox from a few friends of mine where it's just like 
oh, they're just making racial jokes and uh, homophobic comments and this and that. And it's it's hard to get around. But I, I think it's 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 in the it's sadly in the characters that they're portraying it that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, I thought about that too. That every time I every time I come back to this movie because the first time I saw this movie was when it came out, and so yeah, the culture has changed a good bit since then. Yeah. But I, I feel like every time I come back to it, I'm like, oh, man, is this movie going to be like too problematic? But I mean, yeah. the main thing I walk away with every time is like these guys are murderers. Like, yeah, <laughs> do they have yeah, to be politically yeah. correct? Like, do, do yeah. I need all my murderers and films to be politically correct? I don't I don't think so. And there's something too, and I and maybe I'm, I'm speaking out of turn with this, but it's like Americans, I feel, are a little bit more sensitive about certain things and say British or Europeans in terms of language, if that makes sense. Mm hmm. Like yeah. Americans have become more sensitive, and and I and, and understandably, but in in certain areas of the world, it's not. It's just kind of like it's almost like it's 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 used as just like regular slang, which is uh, very different compared to here. But yeah, so I, I'm when watching it, I was going, man, it's gonna be hard to pull clips from this movie <laughs> because it's it's like it's getting really good at some points and then it moves on. But anyway, no, what I liked about it, I think the cast is great, and we'll talk about that later. But like, I, I it's it's still a to me, it still holds up as a, a well crafted. Again, it, it has a play like feel to it, but doesn't feel stagey. Mm -hmm. Like the dial, like the dialogue is very much like it's a Harold Pinter play or whatever, where it's all this like existential crisis with these characters it never feels slow even though it's very dialogue heavy until mm -hmm. it's not dialogue heavy with yeah. when the violence comes in but yeah that's how i said i really enjoyed it again this rewatch and it continues to improve for me yeah and i think that's that's the strength of the script for sure so quick history of how it was made like we said mark mcdonough irish playwright one of the most decorated modern irish playwrights modern british play playwrights um and I've always thought this interesting. There's a there's a quote from him, and and it feels kind of weird to be someone who has accomplished so much in the theater, but he's pretty bluntly said like I the goal was always to make movies. Like I like <laughs> I like plays. Plays are great, but he's he's a huge huge film nerd, which um we'll talk about a little bit more in kind of the references that he makes in this movie. Um, but yeah, so coming off of I think at that point he had done uh, six very successful plays. Uh, he and one. Uh, every award you can at that point uh he yeah. directed the short film six shooter starring brendan gleason in 2004 um he already had a lot of clout from the theater scene so buzz for six shooter um was was quick and it was loud and he got a lot of attention from the film industry after that uh he was approached by new producer he, Peter he won, a, he won a, he was he won an oscar for that i think right yeah so he made it in 2004 okay. he was approached by new producer peter chernan had just set up blueprint films McDonough pitched him in Bruges. Pre-production began while Six Shooter was still touring the festival circuit. Okay. McDonough says he and Chernin locked the budget for in Bruges before Six Shooter won Best Short at the 2006 Academy Awards. Wow. And he That's... wishes that they hadn't done that or he would have asked for more money. <laughs> McDonough says the inspiration for in Bruges, in Bruges came after he uh, took the train up from London to Bruges for a weekend. He says he was initially blown away by the beauty and the history of the city, but by the end of the weekend, he was ready to hit a pub and get drunk. And so he <laughs> said in, in his brain, those two mindsets just became two characters. Um, yeah. And so that's where Ken and, Ken and Ray were born from, this uh, person who is like blown away by Bruges and wants to see everything and appreciate everything. And this other person who's like surrounded by all this interesting stuff and does not care whatsoever. <laughs> 
so the final budget speaking of of the budget being locked final budget ended up being uh 15 million that is so, pretty low yeah so we'll get a little bit more into the on set life but what are what are some of your your favorite scenes it, it goes unspoken that anything with ray and ken talking is pretty much great <laughs> so i'll i'll go off a little bit and say something different i really like ray meeting chloe mm-hmm. um at the film shoot and then kind of their dynamic um, they're filming something their film was yeah it's interesting with with, with ray because i was reading i think one of the articles you sent how ray is like doesn't care about the museums doesn't care about the beautiful like almost fairy tale setting of bruges but that's like ooh, movies where it's it's interesting now when talking about him about mcdonough being so in love with with cinema it, it makes sense that ray like doesn't care about any of that stuff there but when they're shooting a little a movie that is a euro trash movie it's like a kid on christmas morning in a way where it's like oh let me go watch what's going on here oh man the crafty table is so cool (laughs) he's just like so excited by it like because it's it's just like oh a movie but yeah i i think i think him meeting her like they're um oh gosh they're the dinner they have together and then when when ray beats up the canadians Mm -hmm. um I just think I said I think their stuff is great together with Chloe and him. Even though Chloe doesn't have a lot in the movie, I just think the I think that relationship that he has with her is kind of the showcasing like the future Ray could have of like having a a non hitman life, basically. Yeah. yeah, an opportunity at a blank slate, which he, yeah. he's obviously thinking is not a possibility until he meets her. My name's Ray. What's yours? Chloe. How did you get past the security man? Ah, getting past security man. Sort of my job. You're a shoplifter. Nope, not a shoplifter. It's a good joke, though. No. I'll tell you what I am at dinner tomorrow night. <laughs> What's one of you got? Um, I love. So we're gonna start getting into spoilers a little bit here. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. McDonough is incredible at like dramatic irony, and I absolutely love the scene when Ken is like, has, so Harry tells Ken to kill Ray, and there's that moment when when Ken's like walking up behind Ray, and then he sees Ray put a gun to his head. He's yeah. like, Ray, what are you doing? He's like, What are you doing? You were gonna kill <laughs> nothing, <me."> nothing. <laughs> you were gonna kill yourself. Um, it's yeah, it's that's, and then they have that. They, they like talk it out afterwards they're like sitting in this like train like kids train at a um, <laughs> at a playground well it's like because because he because ken goes uh uh let's go talk about this somewhere in private because they're on the playground like he's gonna mm-hmm. like colin farrell's gonna kill himself at a playground and it's like let's go talk about and i'm thinking like, oh they'll go back to like the hotel or somewhere they just no they just go climb on whatever like <laughs> like kids thing is there and just like let's talk this out so you want to kill yourself i was hired to kill you or i was told to kill you like what's going and 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 that scene too because that is that is one of my favorite scenes colin farrell which he does a great job with throughout the entire movie is is showing the guilt because essentially again this is a spoiler for those that haven't seen it um is that uh ray colin farrell's character uh performed a hit by killing a priest but unbeknownst to him, he accidentally killed he killed a kid in the process, mm. and so essentially he is kind of being torn apart by this guilt that he killed this innocent child. And essentially, Harry, who is Ken and, Ray, and Ray's boss, wants Ken 
to kill Ray because he, ki he killed the kid. That's like the, their ethics, the hitman ethics of like, you can't kill a kid and stay alive. And, and Pharaoh and Ray, and I think this is probably part of the whole movie is that Ray is someone who wants to like, essentially I made a, I made a mistake. I, it's also interesting too. He sinned in the other way. Cause it's like they they deal with also the kind of the Catholic guilt, mm -hmm. but they're hitmen. So it's like this, it's an interesting kind of like dynamic of, we have a very bad job, but we're also religious. So we have to like atone for our sins in a way, but he kind of feels like what I, I should kill myself because of this, but, but Ken believes that Ray should continue to live um, and learn from those mistakes he made. But I was saying is that Farrell, I think does a great job of showing that guilt kind of progress as the movie mm -hmm. goes on, if that makes sense. And then realizing he has to move on from it in a way, but that, but the, the playground scene, when they're actually talking it out after the whole mishap of you're going to kill me, I was going to kill myself is kind of the tipping point of when Farrell actually like lets everything out yeah. as Ray's character. Oh, he's got an like, incredible like line in that scene where he just breaks down completely. And, and he, he's, he's been someone who's like very like posturing um, yeah. throughout, like he's someone who like wants to appear cool like, yeah never and, never and never takes anything like seriously care. yeah yeah never takes anything seriously give me going back you're not back you're a suicide case and you're trying to shoot me in the fucking head you're not getting that gun back how oh, great day this has turned out to be i'm suicidal me mate tries to kill me me gun gets nicked and we're still in fucking bros listen i'm gonna give you some money and put you on a train somewhere Back to England? And Ray, you'll be a dead man. I don't want to be a dead man. Since you've been missing something. You don't want to be a dead man, Ray. I can't. I killed a little boy. anybody dead you're not gonna bring that boy back <laughs> but you might save the next one what am i gonna be a doctor you need exams do anything Ray. do anything mcdonough does a great job of revealing to you information as late as possible mm -hmm. like what he tells you right when you need to, to like right when you need it and it like with the, it kind you kind of see a flashback of that specific scene when Ray is watching like kids play like in the court kind of court area of Bruges, and then you're like, oh, this is why. You start putting pe the pieces together. Oh, this mm -hmm. is why they're here. They've been sent away for this. And then right when that happens, not long after, that's when you get the, oh, Ken Harry wants Ken to kill Ray. But which another scene, speaking of that, that I love is is Ken and Harry talking on the phone about like it's well if, if first off it starts with the whole like is, is Ray in the room? And Ray's already like gone down to the pub because he has a date with Chloe. And he's like, Oh yeah, he's in the he's in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. So oh. Ken Ken thinks that Ray is supposed to be there. So he's like, Yeah, yeah, he's in the bathroom, and then Harry's like, get rid of him. <laughs> 
by the way, Ray Fiennes in this movie is just phenomenal to me. Um, because that scene specifically, I mean, a lot of the scenes, but that scene's just a great intro of just like him constantly like, well, is he gone? Yeah, he just left. Is he out in the hallway? He could be out in the hallway. What if he's out in the hallway? Um, I guess that that's the scene where you like people kind of think the Tarantino influence in a way, mm-hmm. where it's just like they're going back the the kind of to the tat of the dialogue in a way of them going back and forth. Uh, and I love Harry just like explaining the city of Bruges to them like it's a it's a fairy tale it's a fairy tale city. What do you mean he doesn't like? <laughs> what do you mean it's not his cup of tea? It's a fairy tale. Has he seen the Has he seen the swans? Swans. Swan, are the swans still there? The swans still there. Well, wh- what do you not love about the swans? Well, that's another thing of that. I mean, this this movie is like so full of irony, but that you, yeah. you find out, you know, Ray has been hating Bruges this whole time, and you find out that Harry like legitimately loves Bruges. It's his favorite yeah. place in the world, and he sent <laughs> Ray there to give him like because Harry wants him to have like a nice two weeks before, before he gets before killed. he dies, <laughs> and and then it turns out that it's like literal hell for Ray. I'm so happy he could see the place before he died. <laughs> yeah, and you've got that moment when Ken's like, and you know what? He looked at me and he said, I know I'm awake, but I feel like I'm in a dream right now. And Harry's like, he said that. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and Harry just like gets his like, sense of like satisfaction that mm-hmm. he gave that to him. Oh, well, at least he got to have something before he killed him. So he's having a really nice time. Well, I'm having a really nice time. I'm not sure if it's really his cup of tea. What? You know, I'm not sure if it's really his thing. What do you mean it's not really his thing? What's that supposed to mean? It's not really his thing. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Nothing, Harry. It's a fairy tale fucking town, isn't it? How can a fairy tale town not be somebody's fucking thing? How can all those canals and bridges and cobble streets and those churches and all that beautiful fucking fairy tale stuff, how can that not be somebody's fucking thing, eh? What I think I meant to say was... Is the swan what? still there? Yeah, the how swans. How can fucking swans not fucking be somebody's fucking thing, eh? How can that be? What I think I meant to say was when he first arrived, he wasn't quite sure about it. You know, there's that big dual carriageway when you get off the train. Uh, it mightn't have been here when you were here last, Harry. But as soon as he got into, like, the old town proper, and he saw the canals and the bridges and, you know, the swans and that, he just fucking loved it then. Couldn't get enough of it. The medieval part of town. It's just that initial dual carriageway thing. Sort of put him off for a second. No, I don't remember a dual carriageway. It must be recent. That hasn't spoiled you, has it? No, no, no. It's just that initial thing. And you know what? As we were walking through the streets, there was this sort of freezing fog hanging over everything. And it made it look almost like a fairy tale or something. And he turned to me. Do you know what he said? What did he say? He said, Ken, I know I'm awake, but I feel like I'm in a dream. Yeah? He said that? Yeah. Meaning not in a good dream? Yeah. Of course, like in a good dream. Oh, good. But it's and that scene's done like in a one shot, I think. When yeah. when Gleason's walking around the hotel, and again, him and Harry, him and Ray Fiennes have great just like chemistry throughout the movie, but in that scene particularly. That's that's one of my other favorite scenes is when Harry gets to Bruges and they sit down for a drink, and uh, <laughs> Harry's just so angry. Ray finds just so much fun in this. I, I love what the, the like reveal because he's he's just on the phone for that scene, and so 
the first time he's like revealed is when he's like beating his phone up and his wife comes in it's like <laughs> language sorry language warning but she's like it's an inanimate fucking object and he's like you're an inanimate fucking object <laughs> and then he apologizes i'm sorry for calling you an inanimate object earlier <laughs> um well, it's also it's also the reveal of harry that like he's just like a, a guy with like a wife and kids at home yeah, yeah. like he's just taking calls just, in his in his home office yeah yeah it's uh like i said yeah ray finds and also with harry stuff like the harry and ray or harry and ken relationship is an interesting one with the whole like because it's the it, it, it i mean i guess it gets it gets revealed very briefly in the backstory of that ken ken's wife was killed was murdered mm-hmm. and basically he went to harry and harry killed the person who killed his wife yeah which feels very i haven't seen the movie in a while but it feels very seven psychopaths if i remember correctly i think there's like some stuff in there about, yeah, about like it, about his, his wife getting killed yeah yeah um but yeah it's it's this they have this so again like the bell tower scene when they're like when when uh when ken kind of goes on like why he had to let him go why he had to let let ray go and and harry's just like well i can't kill you after that like (laughs) it's just like i can't kill you after this like because because there is that it's interesting because these characters have these very strict principles like like very much so which is very i guess subversive in a way these people who commit crimes who don't follow the quote-unquote social uh rules they have a code that they live by and it's like oh if you kill a kid you gotta get killed uh if you let that person go who did it you're standing in the way so you have to be killed no matter Mm -hmm. what our relationship is you have to die and that moment it's that harry's like well i can't kill you but i'm still gonna shoot you in the leg basically Mm -hmm. i have to do something to prove a point what are you doing what are you fucking doing i'm not fighting anymore Harry. all right then i'm blowing your fucking head off i don't come over all gandy what are you fucking doing ken stop messing about please pick up your gun i know i'm gonna beat you anyway because you're a spaz but Harry. i'm totally in your debt Things that have gone between us in the past. I love you unreservedly for all that. For your integrity. For your honor. I love you. The boy had to be let go. The boy had to be given a chance. I have to do that. I had to say, fuck you. And fuck what I owe you. And fuck everything that's going on between us. And that's what I had to do. I'm not fighting you. And I accept totally everything you've got to do. I accept it. Totally. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, you say all that fucking stuff. I can't fucking shoot you now, can I? entirely up to you honey entirely your call well i love that that guy too the alcoves oh alcoves am i am i using this word correctly alcoves (laughs) Alcoves. 
I love the the. That's one. That's one thing I I I'll quote sometimes. This is one of those movies I've seen so many times. I I love to quote it, and like other people have no idea. But uh, yeah. when that guy's like, I've got some of these doom dooms. Am I saying this correctly? Doom dooms. <laughs> It's like it's kind of like nooks and crannies. Ah, oh, nooks and crannies. Yes. That makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, that guy, he's only in like two scenes, right? He's mm-hmm. only in the it's in the it's yeah. in the guns, both gun scenes basically. He's just Harry's contact in Bruges. Um, yeah, no, yeah. Air, I mean, also to the scene when, which I I still I still love. It's probably one of my favorite scenes. Is when when Eric, her uh, Chloe's boyfriend, shows up and has the blanks in the gun, mm-hmm. and Colin Farrell just shoots him in the eye with the blank. It's like I so can't casual. see, I can't <laughs> see. You can't see because I shot you in the in the face with the blank. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so. He's insane. like the whole time he's ta- telling Chloe like I knew you'd never like a boy like me, and then he's, <laughs> the guy's just, like just crying over in the corner. And you want to say like, dude, you're Colin Farrell. Of course she's gonna like you. <laughs> like, look at this guy and look at you. I'm sorry. Like, you're 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 a you're a fetching young man, Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. Oh, last one more scene I had that I just I it this one might be my favorite scene in the movie, and that's the stairwell scene at the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. At the <laughs> towards the end when Marie, who I love, has a character as the hotel the pregnant hotel manager. Who's like standing in between these hitmen going, you're not shooting at my hotel. Mm-hmm. And they're just going, okay. All right. All right. Uh, 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 Harry, I'm going to, I'm going to jump out into the canal in three seconds. Uh, try to swim across. Can, try to swim across. You can shoot me there if you want to. Okay. In three seconds. He goes, I don't, I goes, Are you sure you're going to jump? Cause I don't want to go out there and then find you like hiding in a, in a, in a cupboard somewhere upstairs. <laughs> and they've got that shot where Marie's just like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> Suppose you got a gun up there. Yeah. Well, what are we going to do? We can't stand here all night. Why don't you both put your guns down? Go home. Don't be stupid. This is the shootout. Harry, I've got an idea. What? My room faces onto the canal, right? I'm going to go back to my room, jump into the canal, and see if I can swim to the other side and escape. All right. If you go outside and round the corner, you can shoot at me from there and try and get me. That way we leave this lady and her baby out of the whole entire thing. You completely promised to jump in the canal. I don't want to run out there, come back in ten minutes and find you fucking hiding in a cupboard. I completely promise, Harry. I'm not going to risk having another little kid die, am I? So, hang on, I go outside, then I go which way, right or left? You go right, don't you? You can see it from the doorway. It's a big fucking canal! All right, Jesus, I've only just got here, haven't I? Okay, on the count of one, two, three, go, okay? Okay. What? Who says it? Oh, you say it. You guys are crazy. Hey, ready? Ready. Set. Set. One, two, three, go. And and you'll you'll probably get into this a little bit later, but like this 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 I think this was like kind of like Colin Farrell's comeback role. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say yeah. comeback, but like it was a very much just like oh Colin Farrell's like and like a, a legit actor if that yeah makes sense. i've got a great quote i pulled when we get to okay. like critical response there's a, a okay. one critic who wrote something i think sums it up perfectly but yeah he's 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 incredible at this he nails he nails the dialogue he nails the like snappiness the rhythm between these two guys is so good and and that's i think that's why i love ray fines coming into the movie when he does so much because he yeah. just falls right into the rhythm as well he does like you, you he does. spent this whole movie watching 
uh ken and ray build this rhythm between the two of them and then like ray fines just comes in and he's he's right on beat with the rest of them as soon as he drops in but um yeah i can't th- like like i said the the kind of touring around bruges all kind of goes together as a yeah. scene but i do really love when they're in um when they're in the the art museum and they're talking about kind of heaven and hell and that that's when you really first start yeah. to get an idea that something heavy is weighing on on ray's mind yeah. and he's like asking about pur- purgatory and like you weren't really good but you weren't really shit either yeah. kind of like Tottenham which I read a, I read a quote from Martin McDonough where he says he loves Tottenham but after he wrote that movie he wished that that the team never did well because then that would ruin the reference like the, the reference <laughs> wouldn't be dated well if the team ever became good yeah that, I, I do and that's you know that's what I what one of the things I really love in this movie is is a lot of that first act like I said they're just it feels like they're just joking around but mm-hmm. you slowly yeah. start to see that they're they're talking so much about what makes a person good is there any shot at redemption? Like what intention versus action, all this kind of stuff is going on under the surface and the whole time it's like laugh out loud dialogue. I quite like this one. Well, the rest are rubbish by spastics, but this one's quite good. What's that all about them? It's judgment day, you know? Oh yeah. What's that then? Well, it's, you know, final day on earth when mankind will be judged for all the crimes they've committed and, and that oh and see who gets into heaven and who gets into hell and all that yeah, yeah. And what's the other place purgatory purgatory purgatory's kind of like the in-betweeny one you weren't really shit but you weren't all that great either like Tottenham do you believe in all that stuff, Ken? Uh, Tottenham. The last judgment and the afterlife. And guilt and sins and hell and all that. Some on-set life stuff. Uh, uh-huh. So the film was rehearsed for three weeks in Bruges. Oh, wow. And, uh, and shot for seven and a half weeks. Okay. They, fought, they shot from January through March. Uh, to save money on set deck, the production requested that the city of Bruges leave up their citywide Christmas decorations until the film wrapped. Smart. Uh, the mayor of, of Bruges insisted on sending out a handwritten letter to all residents of the city explaining why the decorations were staying up. Should any of the uh, residents think that it was tacky that they were leaving all the Christmas <laughs> decorations up? And uh, so with that, with that 10 and a half weeks they spent in Bruges, uh, Brendan Gleeson loved Bruges. Uh, and he said he invited his family and friends out from Ireland and on his off days after he was filming these scenes touring around Bruges he would take his family and friends out touring Bruges on his off days and um, Farrell said he found the city very beautiful but he grew bored of it fairly quickly um, but he notes that that might have been him bringing some of Ray you know yeah. if, if, that's, yeah, if sure. that's all that's you're it. consuming is, is Ray hating Bruges um ray fines i couldn't find a quote on what ray fines thought of bruges but i did find a news article that ray fines was kicked out of his hotel in bruges after the (laughs) owner found him skinny dipping in the pool with four women oh okay ray fines okay he he so that says he enjoyed his time in bruges yeah yeah. that's what i I hope they found him a new hotel so mcdonough says he did not edit his script at all during rehearsals or shooting but ended up cutting 40 minutes of footage in post. Wow. Um, they were mostly okay. scenes. I've read the, so so in that way, the script 
that is online the pre-shooting script that you can find online uh-huh. is is the shooting script okay and everything else was just pulled in post it's mostly scenes of flashbacks um giving you more more kind of background on on ray ken and harry um you kind of get flashbacks for all of them but he also eliminated his original ending which shows ray surviving his wounds and returning to dublin but he's still struggling with suicidal urges um it actually the original ending leaves it a little bit more open-ended he's like putting the gun to his head and then like putting it back down and putting it back up to his head and, and it cuts out from there um but they ended up cutting that scene and having colin farrell record ray's final voice voiceover in post um, which i think is better i think i think yeah. that is way better and i think farrell's i we didn't talk about that but i think farrell's narration at the beginning and beginning and ending are pretty pretty great yeah so so what we get instead you like is this ending with his where he's voicing over and you know i've shown this movie to a few people and like when it's ended they're like so does he live or not and i'm like yeah i don't, I don't want to be like snobby about it but like that's not important like but I mean, what's what's important to the story is his very last line in in the movie is I, I just knew I, I really didn't want to die, which yeah. we've been following this person who was severely suicidal the entire movie. So I mean, that's our our lesson by the end. Um, yeah. Whether or not he survives it, his his you know kind of soul was redeemed, I guess you could say. Yeah, and I think if you have that ending of him like putting the gun to his head up and down, that lesson kind of hasn't been learned yeah exactly if that makes sense i, th- I think mm-hmm. i think that was the most important it's not if he does it or not but it's like does he want to live does he want to continue a new life with a blank slate with the fresh start possibly with chloe because i think he 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 says something when because chloe comes into frame when like mm-hmm. she's like watching him after he's, he's being put in the ambulance uh and that kind of like changes his view of like what was he want yeah yeah so actually in that in the in the original ending chloe's calling him and uh-huh. he picks up and she says, are you okay? You left the hospital and I didn't even know. And he's like, oh, I went back to Dublin. And and she's yeah. like, why wouldn't you let me see you at all in the hospital? I thought you were going to like stay in Bruges. And he was like, no, I had to get out of Bruges. I've spent enough time in Bruges. <laughs> and um, and he's got a, a bunch of newspaper clippings about the kid that he killed on his wall. And including some that say like that his name was Louis. And so uh, Chloe says like Marie told me to tell you she had her son and, and named it Louis and and yeah it it oh, it's man. weird it feels yeah. a little too neatly tied up but also yeah. but also it doesn't give you yeah it doesn't give you that like final answer on him so yeah i i, I much prefer yeah that's a very smart choice there's a christmas tree somewhere in london with a bunch of presents underneath it that'll never be opened and i thought if i survive all this i'll go to that house apologize to the mother there and accept whatever punishment she chose for me prison death didn't matter because at least in prison and at least in death you know i wouldn't be in fucking bruges but then like a flash came to me and i realized fuck man maybe that's what hell is the entire rest of eternity spent in fucking bruges And I really, really hoped I wouldn't die. I really, really hoped I wouldn't die. So a little bit of aftermath, the film was a critical darling. Uh, it won Best Screenplay at the British Independent Film Awards and the BAFTAs. It was nominated for Best Musical or Comedy at the Golden Globes. Gleason and Farrell were both nominated for Best Actor, and Farrell won. 
Yep. And uh, the movie was nominated for Best Screenplay at the 2009 Oscars, but lost to who, Brandon? Who had Best Screenplay at the 2009 Oscars? 2009? Yep. It was a big speech. It was a like a... I remember everybody was talking about the speech for... It, oh, it was Milk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Milk? Okay, yeah. So some reviews. Roger Ebert called the movie an endlessly surprising, very dark human comedy with a plot that cannot be foreseen but only relished. Um, it's a great review from Ebert. I sent it to you. Um, he It's glowing. He, yeah, he, did. Like, he adored this movie. Four out of four stars. And, and the quote I was talking about earlier, Tasha Robinson of the AV Club uh, said the film marked Farrell's transition from an overexposed yet underutilized action thriller star to a one of one film a year artiste. That is a, that is a great quote about him. Because he, he did, I mean, and I know because I, I have a friend who's probably listening to this episode who loves Miami Vice uh, <laughs> and Colin Farrell's in. And, but that kind of falls in the thing of like, and also he was do- he was doing a lot of drugs at that point but he was doing like those big and think it was with Colin Farrell he was working with interesting directors pre in Bruges but nothing was really hitting until probably in Bruges he did like Miami Vice with Michael Mann The New World with Terrence Malick uh he did Alexander with Oliver Stone which wasn't uh, a big hit at all mm-hmm. um but that's still like falling like oh it's a pretty boy in this big epic drama mm-hmm. yeah he's still trying to shake off the the swat and uh daredevil, daredevil. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and phone booth phone booth is another one he did oh yeah but no it, it but also the big thing too it showed that like he had as that kind of quotes had range and mm-hmm. he could do like comedy while also showing that he was an actor um with like the guilt the 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 kind of the guilt-ridden hitman like that and again and like a a guilt-ridden hit a guilt-ridden hitman um is very i don't know i won't say cliche but like it it kind of been done before it felt like and feral adds something to it and mcdonough does as well yeah yeah this is I, i feel like a lot of your earlier like guilty hitman stuff like like gross point blank is like very very malaise ridden you know yeah, yeah yeah and this is so much more emotionally charged um yeah you know you, even if you did have kind of a redemptive hitman arc which we you know some kind of is a kind of noir thing we've some yep. of the noirs we've talked about they're they're still not some they're still not this torn up inside about about what they've done so yeah after the film came out huge critical success decently in the indie box office i mean it, it it had a little bit of a tough uh release in the in america it was it was kind of hard to get out there um especially because mcdonough didn't have the name recognition in america that he did in the uk but um ultimately made about 33 million worldwide so um pretty solid release but studios were immediately clamoring for more films from mcdonough um Chernin's production company blueprint pictures became an overnight success eventually going on to do the exotic marigold uh films and eventually being up on the oscar stage having produced uh mcdonough's third film um three billboards uh and the the overnight success and the kind of clamoring for his next work led mcdonough directly to write his next film a meta comedy seven psychopaths about the stresses weighing on an Irish screenwriter named Marty who doesn't know how to follow up his last successful film. So I wonder where the inspiration for that script came from. <laughs> I I love I love Seven Psychopaths. It's it's I feel like it was a little too meta for people when it came it out. Was, but, yeah, um, I didn't even watch it because that was one 
I was in college. Mm-hmm. I was in like because I'm I had an acting professor who like I remember really loved it, and it was it was, and also another thing too. I think my turn people off to it. Even though In Bruges is violent, I think Seven Psychopaths was way more violent. Was the big thing, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and, it, and it doubled down on like the black comedy of like increase the humor, increase the violence. Uh, but I think that was a great cast in that movie. Again, mm-hmm. Farrell, Sam Rockwell, Christopher Walken being Christopher Walken as best he can with the, or what's the no? What's what's the scene <laughs> in that movie where he's like on the road? Yeah, he's like. <laughs> Put your hands up. No. No. But I've, I've got a gun. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what, what works in this movie, Brandon? Well, I mean, the cast, for one. The cast yeah. is amazing, and there's not really a, a false note at all with the cast, I feel. Um, I think McGuffin. Yeah, I love, I, love uh, I think his name is, is it Jordan Prentice? Is Who the, plays Jimmy? Yeah. Yeah. Is that his name? I can't remember. The, I know his first the, name's Jordan. Yeah, the dwarf and the yeah yeah Jordan Prentice. So I think I love that it's 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 the continuing of the living in oblivion joke of uh, yeah there's a dream dream sequence the the, the only jobs dwarfs get is is dream sequences at this point yeah yeah. I I, you know I've I've never found McDonough he likes to admit his his influences I've never found him admitting that but I feel like that's a that's definitely a oblivion joke yeah to that yeah. But yeah, all, all the supporting cast, like we said, the guy, the alcoves guy, like everyone who kind of feel, except, I don't know if I'll save this for, no, this isn't, it, it's not like what didn't work. If we're talking about like the supporting cast, the, uh, the three Americans going into the tower, I've seen this movie, they have terrible American accents. <laughs> the guy, if you go back and listen to the guy, he's trying so hard to do an American accent and it's awful. <laughs> yeah, that was when I was just like are they Americans? I was like, cause it, it was this time I'm watching. I was like, I think they're American. I mean, he's wearing a Yankees hat. So I guess that means they're Americans, but they don't really sound. On the, it Americans. sounds like the, the the woman who played the daughter, like stu- it sounds like she studied Judy Garland to get her American accent. She's like, you're the rudest man. <laughs> yeah. It's, but I do like the joke of, well, so side thing on that again, of just like a throwaway line. Mm-hmm. of when they when 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 harry and ray oh, i'm sorry harry and ken go to the tower to go up there and they go oh we had to close early why just close early oh uh, uh american had a heart attack on the stairwell last night or something like mm-hmm. that and you're like yeah but it's it's such a throwaway line and then you realize oh it's from the guy that yeah. they had to talk to previously <laughs> yeah but no, yeah. So no cast. I think the script. I mean Bruges. I mean the setting of Bruges is mm-hmm. what they did. It's just it's just amazing. Um, and I I mean we might talk about this later with the Christmas adjacent stuff. But the way they subtly put Christmas in the background of the movie, mm-hmm. where like because I think I, I, they they only mention like Christmas a, like three or four times at max, and it's mostly just like an atmosphere like setting piece basically it's not like a oh it's christmas we're spending christmas in bruges or whatever it's just like it's the line where marie's like oh there's only one room because of the holiday because of christmas and everyone's like in town or whatever yeah i think the combination of of like all the the little inserts and establishing shots they have of bruges yeah. paired with this like very ethereal score from carter burwell um yeah. that just kind yeah. of flows very simple piano score that just kind of flows throughout it, it makes it feel 
like a dream you know that's the thing that um ken has that line where ray says you know it's like a dream but like is it a good dream or a bad dream i think they kind of like go back and forth between it the whole time like it, it could be a nightmare and what's great about the way they use it with the music and the, and the shots like it, it never feels like just a travel log movie mm-hmm. like sometimes i've seen movies where like example uh you know like the movie but like midnight in paris the first like five six minutes is just shots of paris mm-hmm. and that continues throughout the movie and Bru- and this one doesn't really do that it gives you the establishment of like this is a beautiful place um but it, it to some it could be a a wonderful place of of museums and buildings but it could just be like a ma- like a, a purgatory maze or something for for ray and it kind of feels that way and and things uh so did anything not work for you i i don't really i mean the american accents for the <laughs> those characters i don't think so well i'm gonna bring this up it's not really not working but in terms of this is going with what you said earlier about the stuff they cut and this feels like the most probably the more jarring thing to me is the flashback Mm -hmm. because they never really do another one yeah i'm not saying it doesn't work but when watching it because the way they set it up kind of feels uh out of the ordinary for this movie if that makes sense mm-hmm. maybe i'm wrong but I, I just that was one it's again it's not i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying i wonder how if there's another way to do set it up the way they set it up if that makes sense yeah yeah and i feel like yeah with the cuts they made they kind of backed themselves into a corner because yeah there were at, at least two more flashbacks to different periods in in the shooting draft so yeah so they would have you know hey rule of threes like they would have had that's yeah three flashbacks and but by cutting those um yeah you end up with just kind of that one that only one thing that takes you out of bruges um yeah and that just might be a pet peeve of mine because that happens to me too where it's like where someone does narration and i think this narration is great so i'm not saying this they do this in this movie but they'll do narration where it's like oh the first five minutes of the movie have narration and then an hour later there's one random line of narration and then we never hear it again you're like wait so did you like not want to commit to narration or like what was (laughs) like was it just there to solve problems that you had and i'm not saying this does that but it it stands out to me when you only do it only do it like one time and because Mm -hmm. it's such a uh, old hollywood style of how they how they set it up of him like seeing kids play and i think they do it in like slow motion and basically saying okay we're we're gonna take you to a flashback now and then Mm. you go to a flashback and and because you only do it that one time it almost feels jarring because at first i don't know if he's in a flashback if that makes sense I, i don't know um again i'm not saying it doesn't work i'm just saying that's the one thing that i think kind of bumped me this time yeah. with watching it yeah i feel that what about you anything with you you know i i, I kind of going back to what does work because when when especially when you're thinking about what was cut I, the runtime is perfect yeah i agree like i you know especially knowing they cut 40 minutes out like um yeah it flows it flows really well um does anything not work honestly i don't know the the every time i rewatch it it's the it's the american accents that get me <laughs> 
that's that's the one thing that i'm just like oh they couldn't they couldn't have flown they couldn't find three out-of-work americans to fly over i don't know if they were a local brewery jack i don't know if you cast that 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 role local or what but yeah, you're um, like we don't want to like i mean that's a, that's a big cost to get uh, some characters with like only like four lines mm-hmm. of like we're gonna fly you over to bruges we're gonna put it's you also up in a just hotel. It's just so funny to me because we in America we put up with so many American actors doing terrible British accents. It's so yeah. You like very rarely see. Well, there's there's so many talented British actors who have come over yeah. to America and just like Christian Bale. People still don't even know he's Welsh, kind of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, it's funny to me to think like, oh, there's some amateur British actors trying to do American <laughs> accents and they just can't nail it at all. Because it's like, are they doing? Are they trying to do Southern? But he's wearing a Yankees hat, so like he's he's New Yorker. I don't even know not... what that guy's trying. He's he's a mess. <laughs> yeah, the daughter is yeah is doing some kind of weird like Dorothy in, in the Wizard of Oz accent. But yeah, yeah the yeah. guy is all over the place. But yeah, and, and again, side thing, back to the flashback. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying mm-hmm. I wonder what it would be like if those others were in there is kind of my thing. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if those changes had been made to the script yeah. ahead of time, like if he knew that was the only one. Yeah. Cause I have a feeling he wouldn't have chosen to have that be his only flashback. If he, yeah. if that had been the way the script had gone, I feel like he would have worked out a different way to do that. Um, so I don't really have alternate universe cast. I have two, two little facts that are kind of okay. interesting. Uh, okay. The characters of Ken and Ray were originally written as English and were changed to Irish when Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell came on board. Okay. Um, and while I don't have any alternate cast, I do have a cast who cast member who was left on the cutting room floor. Ooh. Doctor Who actor Matt Smith was cut out of the film because he played Harry in oh. a uh, in a flashback scene. Um, you can find it online. Uh, this the scene depicts Harry killing the cop who murdered Ken's wife. The event that is spoken about that that put Ken and Harry's debt um, in the scene. Harry walks into the police station and decapitates the, the officer with a samurai sword, turning and saying, it appears I just beheaded your detective. Uh, McDonough says he ultimately cut the scene because he wasn't happy with the decapitation effect. It, it looks, it's a pretty rough version of it that's that's online, but it looks bad. It just kind of falls off and some blood like squirts out. But the elimination of the scene is also consistent with his choices to remove other flashback kind of character background establishing scenes. So I... I you know, he says it was just because he wasn't happy with the decapitation, but it, it kind of falls in line with um, yeah, with the other things that he cut. A couple other film facts. Like I said before, Ryan McDonough, avid student of film. Uh, he said his greatest stylistic, in, uh, stylistic inspiration for this movie came from Nicholas Rook's Don't Look Now. I can see that. Uh, mm-hmm. Citing the way Venice is used as a setting and a character within the story. He also references it in the script. Um, Chloe brings it up and it's very obvious that the film being shot in Bruges is kind of a ripoff of don't look now. Oh, okay. Um, which is, is what kind of, um, in the end, Jimmy is, is wearing that, that schoolboy uniform as a, as a way to pull off that, that the final scene from, from don't look now as yeah. well. Yeah. With the um, jacket. Yeah. yeah. McDonough's other big film nerd reference, uh, is his touch of evil scene. Yep. Where he uses the start of Orson Welles's famous long shot sequence to signal the start of his own one shot sequence. Um, a scene that you brought up beforehand uh, where uh, Ken's on the phone with Harry in the hotel room. Yeah, uh, it's funny because I saw someone comment about that online and talk about how, like, oh, you're just such a film buff putting a Torch of Evil reference in the thing with a one shot. And I'm like, I think he does it well, though. So yeah, it's I can't, fun. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to, like, because I don't think it, I don't think it's, I don't, I, I don't think it's flashy. 
that's hmm. the thing because no, it's, it's so just contained. Ken's watching something on TV. Yeah, yeah, like it's so contained. Um, yeah, I think that's just that's a bad, the bad take. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know it, it's it's not like it's not important to the film whatsoever. No, it doesn't okay. feel like Winky. Like even if you do know it, it it's it's not like wink wink nudge nudge like you could you could easily miss it even if you know like touch of evil and everything yeah because touch of evil is just so with that one shot for those who don't know touch of evil directed by orson wells there is a a a long like eight minute one that's this very extravagant one shot and it's kind of the one of the most famous one shots of all time because of how, how because of how extravagant it is and how um well staged it is where it's going through like the uh it's supposed to be like the border of mexico and u.s but it's just really just venice beach basically <laughs> near, near california in la um but yeah it's like it's it's done wonderfully and this is just like hey and, and that's sometimes you have to take into account like when you when you know a lot of film is that you will like like that reference but you also have to realize like not everyone's going to get that reference if that makes sense like mm-hmm. I, this is a, a very side thing right now um with with mank where i see people like not liking mank because they don't get the references in the movie or whatever or it's people who really who love film think it's a masterpiece where i'm like i think you think it's a masterpiece because you get the you references. know all the references yeah. you know all the references i'm not saying that takes away from the movie but i'm saying like i've seen that before. It's like, oh this is a man- magnificent film i was like because you get the references they're making anyway s- sorry side thing yeah. do you have any other references a touch of evil don't look nail um I think that's all I've got. Also, Touch of Evil referenced recently on the podcast in our uh, Phantom of the Paradise episode. It was. A- again, every director loves to do their Touch of Evil shot. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Story questions. I've got a few. Okay, go ahead. We've talked about it a little bit, but is this a happy ending for Ray? Oh, man. I'll say yes. I'll say yes. Because yeah. I, th- I think he learns a lesson and i do think he 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 lives is the thing mm-hmm. i i think i think that lesson shows that he lives to me in my mind i don't think he goes back and stays in bruges with chloe though yeah no i don't think he lives in bruges yeah it might go somewhere else it would be kind of funny if like he's like he loves chloe so much he comes and stays in bruges and like runs the pub is what <laughs> he does or he no he's their film locations like person he works on <laughs> film commission for they're filming something <laughs> keeps getting films to come to Bruce so he can hang out on set and get crafty <laughs> what other question you got anything else yeah what what happens between ken and harry if ray doesn't come back to Bruce? oh like, man that's a good like, question do they just get down to the bottom of the stairs and go have a drink yeah i i think yeah i think they do i think they do not even that but like what happens if eric the boyfriend doesn't see them and come and tell them mm-hmm like the question would would if they walk down here's a bigger question if harry and ken walk down the stairs without eric telling them and they see ray at the bar what do you think happens there like is there a massive shootout (laughs) oh yeah yeah i think so i think it just blows up uh so i've got another question another deleted scene for you okay um, there's another deleted scene that heavily implies that Kieran Hines's priest character brought her to Bruges. Yeah. Oh, 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 I was like child molester. Is that what it is? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Brought Harry to Bruges when Harry was a child and, and molested him in Bruges, um, which would explain Harry's strange obsession with Bruges 
the reason he called for a hit on the priest and his strict code of honor when it comes to children. Wow. Did McDonough le- make the right call to leave this out? I'm going to say yes. It feels I a little it, too neat. To, like that one if, scene yeah. just is like, this is everything this is ties the character. Yeah. It, it's like, it's like every, all roads lead to Bruges with that scene, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, I think it's better that being kind of gray in terms of, you just assuming Harry has this like moral code. Mm-hmm. That's what ma- that's what makes him so unique, and that it's not explained. I think I think because the act is so tragic that Harry would just like stick by this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And no, I think I think you're right. I think it's too neat. I think I think I think just making it simple is always better. I feel if mm-hmm. you can like I think sometimes people you want to tie everything together and i i think if 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 you do that with the with kieran hines taking him to bruges and and molesting him i think that takes away the comedy of why he loves bruges so much if that makes sense yeah i think it's i think it takes that takes that away for sure so is that shot was that like a real like yeah i haven't found that one online but i mean it says they shot the whole it's in the script and um you know it says they shot the whole script so i guess not i know they don't show kieran hines's face i know kieran hines shot his his whole cameo in like two hours but it's um he's wearing like the same rings and i think you even like hear his voice and it's it's the same voice gotcha Um, okay but it's all kind of shot from from harry's like seven-year-old harry's point of view i do have this is not a question so much but i've been thinking about we've talked a lot about like harry's um code uh-huh. you know harry's whole thing is like i can kill whoever i want but you you, you can kill like you can't kill a kid and yeah. and it it feels like that's kind of what what ken is has felt like in the past as well but it's it's funny in the in the end it's like ken changes his mind to think like because he he tells harry something along the lines of like the kid the ray is is redeemable he's got a, a shot and you and i don't yeah. um and it, and it feels like he uh ken's finally realizing like i killed all these people and we always told ourselves like this was fine yeah and ray's killed like two people and one was by accident and he feels awful about it like so even though harry thinks this is the absolute worst thing you could have done like what's you know who who actually has a shot at redemption here well here's a question because because this goes with kind of the article you talked you sent me about the christmas themed stuff mm-hmm the christmas theme setting with this movie do you want to talk about this now or towards the end yeah we can do it now yeah okay because that's that was the whole thing of the article you sent about how how this movie fits into like the christmas say genre is that a lot of times we and this is true i think i I think even it'll happen this year is that when you're getting towards the end of the year and when you're around christmas time you begin to have these like existential thoughts or whatever you begin thinking about like what your what what your life has become or what your year has become what happened within your in this past year and this movie does that very well of these characters are stuck in in bruges like say being stuck at home for the holidays and thinking about what they've done in their lives mm-hmm. and both ken and ken and ray are coming to a point where Ken is beginning to realize what he's done with he's killing so many people and maybe he he should try to do something right for once and let this person who has some sort of chance of not becoming him to get away and have a new life. 
mm-hmm. when Ray is dealing with this, oh God, what did I do? I killed this person. I need to make a change. And then his mind, his change, I should kill myself. Um, so both these characters are, try- are thinking about how they should change or what actions they should do to initiate that change. And that is very inherent in like just the Christmas genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I think the article brings. Yeah, it's the Christmas genre, but also Christmas in general. Like it, it's yeah. a passage of time. It's a time when we especially look back on our past, and and a lot of times we associate that, and a lot of Christmas movies associate mm-hmm. that with good things. Like we look yeah. back on on you know times with the family, and it and it makes everything warmer and and the the truth of it is that it's a you know there's there's two sides to that coin and and you're also you have to look back on everything and like with this movie sometimes what you see is kind of dark yeah all right on that note let's let's uh let's give out (laughs) awards okay awards this one's kind of tough i'm interested to hear what you have to what you've got picked um okay so first off we've got the beatrice straight award for the uh the supporting or the the actor with limited scenes my first thought is marie hmm in oh, the movie, yeah. who, who's the hotel manager just for the for that stairwell scene alone i think oh, i love that she's got that scene too where um where ken's like trying to apologize well she's got the two the scene where she like tells ken that she took a message for him yeah, and then yeah. the one later um yeah she's she's great at being like kind of weirded out by these guys but also very polite to them but then she yeah. just kind of hits her breaking point i mean it's i like i like her and then well, I mean, you t- there is the Canadian Canadian man. Canadian man is pretty good, um, and the alcove dude is pretty good. Who do you have? Who do you have? Um, I've got the Canadian. I have I had the alcove guys okay. as well. I I have Jimmy too. I don't know if that's limited enough. Um, yeah, maybe not. Maybe he's maybe supporting. Not, maybe it's support. I don't know. I is he in the movie for more than ten minutes? It's kind of how I I'm trying to like yeah see. probably around around there a little bit more than that I guess from the scene I, where they're I, like I would give him drugs. I would give him limited I would give him limited so you so what do you so if that changes my, my pick is the alcoves guy just for my okay. personal personal preference that guy's I'll, no so I'll wacky go with and, that and I think it's yeah. great I think I think I think the scenes he has with all those guys with with Ray Fiennes and with with Brendan Gleeson just the uh, alcoves nooks and crannies oh that's a good way that's a good way to say <laughs> well, I love they have that moment later on where they're like did he tell you about the alcoves <laughs> <laughs> yeah he did <laughs> right when like when harry's gonna kill ken it's like they did mm-hmm. the alcoves yeah he wouldn't stop talking about it is it yuri is that the yeah. character yeah that's yuri. Yuri. yeah e- eric godin wins the beatrice Strait award there are a lot of alcoves in the conning astrid park you use this word alcoves Alcoves, yes. Sometimes. There are not many people around in these alcoves in Christmas time. If I were to murder a man, I would murder him here. Are you sure this is the right word, alcoves? Alcoves, yes. It's kind of like nooks and crannies. Nooks and crannies, yes. Perhaps this would be more accurate. Nooks and crannies rather than alcoves. Yeah. And the Annie Potts X Factor Award for supporting actor that is the most memorable. I think it's Ray Fiennes. That's yeah, it's gotta be Ray Fiennes. It has Fiennes. to be Ray Fiennes. Yeah, as Harry Wallace. Doesn't even show up until like the third act and is just like instantly uh, makes this a three hander. Like he, he's yeah, he's does. only in yeah. a third of the movie and, and he's yeah. How do you rank this in terms of Ray Fiennes performances? Is it top five? Oh yeah, for me, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I love I, Ray Fiennes. 
I'm a huge Ray Fiennes fan. We've we've talked about my love for End of the Affair on this uh, we have. on this podcast before. Uh, yeah, I think he's an incredible actor, and I and he doesn't do a lot of comedy, but when he does, I'm always like, oh yeah. man, this guy's hilarious. Like, a great timing. Oh man, he was Ramesses in Prince of Egypt, not a comedy. Yeah, but just rewatched that recently. Forgot Val Kilmer, that. Val Kilmer versus Ray Fiennes, man. Uh, he, he's great in Quiz Show. Yeah. Oh man, I love he's, Quiz Show. He's, he's great. In quiz, and I think, and that was him starting out young. That was that mm-hmm. was not that was pretty early in his career. I mean, wow. Was Schindler's List really his third movie? Really? That's kind I mean, of insane. He's insane to me. in that movie. Yeah. That's insane. Uh, yeah. Talk about guy. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at. Yeah. He, you're right. He doesn't do a lot of comedy. Oh, he is in Grand Budapest. Oh, he's in yeah, Grand Budapest. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Grand Budapest the, Hotel. Yes. Yeah. Now I was, I was thinking for some reason my mind went to best exact Marigold Hotel, which is because <laughs> we've been talking about it. Yeah, and he's he's so much fun. Uh, Grand Budapest is another one where he's like his his rhythm, his comedic rhythm is just yeah amazing. Um, and I'm and I'm not a huge fan of Hell Caesar, but I think he's great in Hell Caesar. <laughs> That's my it's. I mean i i have seen I've seen Hell Caesar twice, but I can't even tell you how many times I've watched the, the, <laughs> that scene would between it, him and Alden so Ehrenreich. What is twer so simple? Why are you saying twer? Why are you saying twer? Because you said twer. When he's like, oh, my name is Lawrence Lorenz. And he's like, okay, thank you, Mr. Lawrence. No, no, it's it's Lorenz, please. And then later he's like, please, please, call me Lawrence. And he's like, I thought you said it was Lorenz. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got this like insanely fast. When you're, when you're talking like pattern, when you're talking yeah, comedic he, rhythm, he's, he's so fast in everything he does. Whether he's doing like something super posh, like best exo- or, uh, Grand Budapest Grand or... Um, <laughs> Or Hail Caesar, or if he's doing something like really crude, like this movie, I, I love. I can't. I absolutely cannot play this clip. Um, but when <laughs> when Ken insults his kids and he just like blows up, <laughs> how dare you take that back about my kids right now? It's so good. Yeah, he's 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 great. And I I, I, I yeah, I respect him a lot as an actor because he feels like he's always willing to take chances. Like I agree. You know, he's, he's somebody who's got a lot of clout as a serious film actor, and then. You know, to do something like this, to do something like Harry Potter, which he absolutely kills. Like, he's so good as Voldemort. This, yeah. I know we're not really a Harry Potter kind of podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> well, then he'll just. Yeah. And they'll just, like, pop up in, like, the Hurt Locker for, like, a scene or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, that, that, yeah. I mean, this is a weird time looking at his filmography at that point where it's like, he's doing. Man, 2005. He did. One, two, three, four, five, six movies in two thousand five. Yeah, and it's it's in Bruges the same year as the Reader, which he was he was mm-hmm. in, had a big part in, which is very different from this movie. Well, he did the Constant Gardener, right? Was that like a, the year before this? That was oh five. That was the yeah. year. Man, that's a he does oh five, Constant Gardener and Goblet of Fire, his first uh, Harry Potter movie in the same year. That's all right. I got a I got a fun Harry Potter fact for you. <laughs> okay um when david Heyman, producer of the harry potter films yeah. approached approached ray fines about being voldemort ray fine said i don't know anything about harry potter never read it i've never seen a movie i know it's it's big but like i don't know anything about it tell me like just pitch me why i should do this because I, I don't know it at all i'm not a fan like whatever <laughs> they'd already started shooting goblet of fire without casting their oh voldemort. wow wow um and they had already shot the scenes when, spoiler alert, Robert Pattinson comes back dead. 
and yeah. and his father like runs to him and is crying over him and everyone is is my like boy seeing... yeah yeah and so they showed they showed ray finds that scene and they're like your character is the one who did this and ray finds is like i'm in let's go <laughs> wow that's a good story the boy is suicidal honey he's a walking dead man keeps going on about hell and purgatory when i phoned you yesterday did i ask you Ken, will you do me a favour and become Ray's psychiatrist, please? No. What I think I asked you was, could you go blow his fucking head off for me? He's suicidal. I'm suicidal. You're suicidal. Everybody's fucking suicidal. We don't all keep going on about it. Has he killed himself yet? No. So he's not fucking suicidal, is he? He put a loaded gun to his head this morning. I stopped him. He... This gets fucking worse. We were down the park. Let me get this right. You were down the park? What's that got to do with fucking anything? Let me get this wrong. Not only have you refused to kill the boy, you've even stopped the boy from killing himself, which would have solved my problem, which would have solved your problem, which sounds like would have solved the boy's problem. It wouldn't have solved his problem. Ken, if I had killed a little kid, accidentally or otherwise, I wouldn't have fought twice. I'd have killed myself on the fucking spot. On the fucking spot. I'd have stuck the gun in my mouth on the fucking spot. All right, here we go. Gene Hagman MVP award person who carries the movie oh man this is actually kind of tough it is i yeah i could yeah it's very difficult because you could give it of one of three people i feel mm-hmm. like and that's Farrell, gleason or mcdonough yep mm. i want to argue colin Farrell on this one i i, I you know what? i mean i'm arguing with myself in my head yeah okay. well and it, it, the thing is especially with Farrell and mcdonough it, it it's you know, sometimes we like to bring in like to this award. It's you know, what did this this specific movie do for this about. person's career? And like we've about. said, yeah. this launched McDonough's film career. Yeah, and it really it was the like it cemented Farrell becoming kind of an art house actor. Yeah, I think because I think with Farrell, it had the most um, the biggest short term effect. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm mcdonough it took a little while to build up like i don't know if he fully reached what he was like like the the popularity that it kind of brought him until three billboards which is like a decade later that's the thing is that he only made he's only made two films after in bruges right it's it's seven Mm -hmm. psychopaths and that and i think feral it probably helped the most out and i i specifically remember watching the golden globes when Kyle Farrell won, I was like, "This guy, really? The guy, the guy from Daredevil? Bullseye from from Daredevil? Again, again, I'm in high school, so I'm like 16 years old, um, 16, 17 years old. So it was kind of like, really, this guy? So that made me, as a high school kid, rethink Colin Farrell mm-hmm. and think, oh, what can this guy do? I have to go see this movie because Colin Farrell's out here is really good, and I just seen him and like." he's the guy from phone booth and he's in daredevil. So I, I would argue this was more important to Farrell because it showcased how good he is as an actor, I think on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. And I think he handles it perfectly. And I think he is now a, a guy who has continued to show he could be a lead actor, but also a character actor and could go against, go through different genres. So I, I would yeah. say Colin Farrell is the, is the most important, or the MVP of the movie. Yeah. I feel that I'll, I'll back you on that. I was, I, I honestly did not know coming into this, which way I was going to go. But the, um, the question I also ask, who do you put, if you don't put Colin Farrell in that role, who do you put? 
I have no idea. I really don't know. And I don't have an answer for that. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, and then we, you know, we wouldn't have wouldn't have the lobster if we didn't have this movie. Yeah. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have Ravel Coro, season two of True Detective. <laughs> best part <laughs> best part of season two of True Detective. And I'm I'm gonna throw this out there. You might disagree with me. Best part of Saving Mr. Banks. I would agree with you actually. He's so good in that movie. He I I think yeah I think Farrell is is great in that film. And I'm I'm biased, so I like that film a lot, and not many people do. Um, but I think his stuff is probably the strongest as an actor. Is is him? It can be really hard sometimes in in roles that are like that, where it's like someone who's kind of like abusive and and an alcoholic. It can be hard sometimes for a film to show like why people loved them in the first place. And I think he, that him in that role is is one of the few times that really nails like how cares he's so charismatic seems like such a sometimes he just seems like such a fun dad to be around and then like he starts drinking and it just yeah. turns I'll, e- I'll even go a little bit far I'll, I'll say another one i think he's probably the best part of the first fantastic beast oh yeah i was literally I- just having that conversation today <laughs> we're talking about you know the the johnny depp recasting and i was like yeah. why did we need johnny depp in the first place like it why couldn't we just Colin say Farrell. Yeah, why did you waste our time going? Oh, surprise, Colin Farrell. I was I remember being in the theater and when he like morphed into Johnny Depp, I was like, oh, like you had Colin Farrell. Like, yeah, did we see that together? Or no, I can't remember if we saw. Yeah, it we yet. did, right at the we dome. Did. It, was, did you... it was a dome. Okay, we did. Okay, yeah, yeah we saw. That was the only dome. movie yeah. I ever saw at the dome. Same. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one movie we've seen. Okay, mm-hmm. Cinerama Dome, Arclight Hollywood so many great films and we've seen fantastic beasts and where to find them <laughs> starring gene hackman mvp award winner colin farrell after i killed them i dropped a gun in the thames washed the residue off my hands in the bathroom of a burger king and walked home to await instructions shortly thereafter the instructions came through get the fuck out of london you dumb fucks get to bruges I didn't even know where Bruges fucking was. It's in Belgium. Okay, so I was I was going to when I was when I was gonna pitch you when I was gonna ask you for your for your Dreamcast in another decade. My immediate thought was like the 1970s because this does kind of have the feel of like an Altman kind of yeah th- that the indie movement of that era. But I was doing some more research and a lot of people consider this a neo noir. So uh that made me think maybe we should do the 40s again so i warned you about both i have both actually <laughs> okay get, yeah sure all right let's hear them. i mean it's a lot of people so it's a lot of choices which ones do you want you want 70s or 40s first um let's start with the 40s and we'll work our way up to the 70s okay ken okay which which character do you want first uh, yeah let's give me ken ken the the first person i thought of literally right when you said 1940s charles lawton Hmm as ken oh i do like that i like that a lot and and i think in the first scene with brennan gleason i was like i still think charles lawton my backup and also i was there's another part i was trying to do i was like are they british or like are they are they like americans like what's the what's the thing i was trying to do here so i I try to get like a british actor each time with like kind of american like backup Mm -hmm. um the guy i have for the backup is uh thomas mitchell uh, the actor from Stagecoach and mm-hmm. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and, and uh, 
uh, uh, Gone with the Wind. Because um, I was like, who's like a character actor who could possibly play? The big thing, too, is like, how who can play like the drama and comedy of the scene? Because there's yeah. some people who could do one or the other, but who could do both? And I think Lawton or Thomas Mitchell could do both. Yeah. I like that. I like Lawton a lot. All right. How about uh, how about Harry? Okay. I have four different people for this. Okay. So, and and I, I, I'm going to say one. I'm going to say no for it, but I just want to throw it out there. I don't know if he can nail the comedy of it, and that's Bogart. Yeah. I, I think know. Bogart has the drama, but I don't think he has the comedy. Robert Ryan was another one I had on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Cagney is another one I had on my list, which could be interesting. And mm-hmm. the one, the last one I had, this is the British one, George Sanders. Yeah. That was, like that. yeah, George from All About Eve and, mm-hmm. and many other films. George Sanders is that. All right. Yeah, I like I like those. Uh, I like your British cast. So far, I think the, the British cast is the strongest. So, I, also so have a, I also have a Chloe for both of these, by the way. Okay. I, ca- right. I cast a Chloe as well. Uh, do you want Chloe next is what it is? Yeah, let's do Chloe. Uh, I only have one, and I was trying not to do like an American person. I was trying to do an international actress. Uh, Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> yeah. That's of course. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not going to say no to Ingrid Bergman. Um, and that and that kind of goes with the, my British person for Ray, if you want to hear that one. Yeah. Cary Grant. That, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd watch it. I'd watch it for sure. Charles Lawton, Cary Grant, George Sanders, and Ingrid Bergman in Bruges, 1941. Hell yeah. Let's go. All right. How about 70s? 70s. Okay. We'll go Ken first. Uh, my British choice was Richard Burton. Mm-hmm. My two backups that are Americans, uh, Ned Betty. Okay, yeah. And Charles Durning. Yeah, I, lo- I love Charles Durning. Um, I like, I really like Ned Beatty for this. I think yeah. he might be my favorite of those three. Yeah, he's because he can do comedy and drama pretty effectively. Well, and he can also like he can be kind of like super. I don't know. He, I feel like he can hit that that thing that Gleason's got where he can be kind of imposing, but also be like very uh friendly and like warm i agree i agree completely um yeah i think yeah gleason does that very well in this like you would never think that he's a hitman but when he needs to pull off like the hitman part he can do it um and ned betty has like played he's he he did like kind of a a crooked cop role in a movie called white lightning with burt reynolds where he's i think Mm -hmm. phenomenal but then and he's also he's great in network as well uh harry that's who you wanted next yeah okay i got three choices here robert shaw yeah <laughs> amazing <laughs> you probably end up naked in the pool with uh yeah. with four women as yeah, well i think it would make sense so robert shaw uh non non-english person but not american he's canadian after just i watched a movie with him recently uh christopher Plummer. Mm-hmm. he's great in this movie called the silent partner is this kind of like menacing villain and I th- it's one of my favorite performances i've seen him in uh then my, my my third person sean connery <laughs> you know sean connery and ray fines have been in a film together they uh oh gosh what would it's uh, awful it's terrible uh now i'm like blanking on what's something they've been in together the uh the avengers with uma thurman oh, the remake yeah, of the, the tv yes. show yeah it's so bad i remember my dad and i were in blockbuster one day and my dad was like i used to watch this show when i was growing up let's let's rent it and it's You're like no. like oh Sean Connery's running around in like a teddy bear costume for most of the movie. So out of Harry, which one's, which one do you pick for that? Um, 
Who who was the first one again? Robert Shaw. Yeah, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. Yeah. Okay. Robert Shaw. I don't know if Plummer, Plummer would pull off the comedy of it. I, I like Plummer a lot. But, so, um, yeah. Let's go with Shaw. Let's keep it more like the, the British. Ben Bay's the only non-British person. Uh, all right, Chloe. Catherine Deneuve. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> and Ray. Uh, Ray. Okay, I got three choices here. Um, Albert Finney. Okay. Am I a little too old? This is a little bit crazier. Uh, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. As I like Ray. that. Yeah. Uh, and then my American actor, uh, Harvey Keitel. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I like McDowell or Harvey Keitel for that. Okay. Because Keitel I cast because I'm thinking, okay, Catholic guilt, Main Streets. Yeah, yeah Main Streets. <laughs> yeah, but also, I mean, he's he's got, you know, especially in his, his work with uh with Tarantino later on, he's got kind of a comedic rhythm. He, does. he can he can he can hit that um as well. Yeah. All right, I'd watch both of those. Who who's directing? Who's directing for the seventies? Who you got? Oh man. I mean, it'd probably be I mean, Altman feels like the big choice in terms yeah, of like dialogue-heavy dialogue uh, scripts. 1940s, however, I really want to say Billy Wilder. I'd, yeah, absolutely. Also, also, I didn't say this character, this person, for Ray, but I'll throw him out there just so you have him. Fred McMurray. He might he might have been a little too... too I think he was the right age. Because I was trying to like compare the ages of a lot of these characters. Because like Colin Farrell was 32 when he made this movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all these people are kind of in the early 30s to mid to early to late 30s is what it was. Uh, but I still like, so we got K- Charles Lott and Cary Grant, George Sanders, Ingrid Bergman for 1940s, directed by Billy Wilder. 1970s, Ned Beatty, uh, Malcolm McDowell, Robert Shaw, and Catherine the Noob, directed by Robert Altman. We got to get posters for these, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll just put them up in my place. I don't know who else will have them. Mm-hmm. All right, what's uh- next? Does this fit in with any other genres outside of Christmas is adjacent? Adjacent. adjacent. Uh, I mean, hitman genre, I guess you could say. That's a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, like crime. I mean, oh, I would say a buddy film. Like, yeah. it's kind of a buddy film in a way. Like, the first the first half, someone, I think I read, like, it plays, like, Odd Couple and Bruges, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, of, of their differences. So, I, I would say kind of a buddy movie for a bit. Yeah. And I think, uh, do you, do you think it fits in as a neo noir, or do you, or I would say it fits in the neo noir, yeah, yeah, because yeah. kind of like I mean, you know criminals yeah. and yeah, neo noir again with neo noir and noir, it's a very loose genre I feel, and so if you can have crime and portray crime in somewhat of a, a new way, but still have like your foot in the past in a way with neo noir, I think I think that's what kind of classifies the neo noir. I think because. Mm-hmm. With the reference to Touch of Evil, it kind of makes it where it's like, okay, this is what we're 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 referencing this old stuff, but we're showing you a new take on it all. Well, and, and we talked about a lot, um, you know, in November, this idea of of that noir is kind of always being set in a place that is supposed to be, you know, with like Florida noir and even like the early days of like LA noir. This idea that it's set somewhere that's supposed to be idyllic, but you're seeing the the kind of seedy yeah. underbelly for it, and so Bruges is definitely yeah. a place that's like that. You wouldn't think there would be any kind of seedy underbelly for it. And there's also this idea of like being trapped where, like, in the location, if it's in the city of like L.A. or New York, or even in like the desert and like some of these desert noirs, or if it's trapped in Florida and Key Largo, like, and these characters feel at least with Ray 
feels trapped in Bruges, basically. So that kind of continue that, that kind of makes sense for the genre. Uh, and last, does this uh, how does this film fit within the Christmas adjacent genre? We kind of talked about this earlier of like the of how it Christmas has used the time for people to rethink their their past decisions and and usually it's like I mean when Christmas is also like when people try to be nice for each other and really think about the decisions they're making. And that's kind of happening here in this movie with these characters of, of Ray and Ken specifically. And I think the setting elevates that, that crisis uh, each of the characters are having. So, and I, I, so I think the setting, and so again, not mentioned a lot, but again, it, it takes, it takes those Christmas tropes that you think of in a Christmas movie and subverts them to mm-hmm. make them with a they have a darker edge to them yeah but also weirdly you kind of come away with the the same lesson as something like it's a wonderful yeah, life you do it's, <laughs> it's suicidal man live. is is yeah suicidal I man has live. shown the will to live again so yeah it, it has been there. real it has been really interesting seeing some of these movies because i've been watching a few outside of like that we're not talking about in the podcast of just how like these Christmas adjacent films sometimes do come back to the Christmas themed, like, and not specifically Christmas, but like there's some sort of lesson of like, Oh, family's important or uh, I want to live. I want to have a life. I want to do better with my life. That's all apparent in the Christmas genre, but because in these movies, Christmas is just not integral to the, the, plot and the th- main thing is is like if you take christmas out of it how much does it change in bruges like this movie like some people wouldn't even cl- like some people don't even realize this is a chris this is set yeah. christmas so that's the thing is if you take it out how much does it affect we're putting this stuff on it is what it is it's like mm-hmm. and trying to analyze what mcdonough did mcdonough mean to do this to kind of evoke these kind of emotions for people i don't know but yeah i think i think it fits nicely and i think it's one of the more it's it's one of the more interesting ones because Christmas is is so rarely talked about, and because it's such at least as American it's such a um, it's a foreign city so I don't know what the culture is in general so maybe they mm-hmm. just have lights up year round, oh, yeah. like like because it's not like it's not like legit it's not Christmas like it's not what Americans say of Christmas lights of like red green and blue or like type colors it's all just like white lights. So that could just be like, oh, it's a tourist city. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> they just here. love string lights. In, they just like Bruges. string lights. I mean, who doesn't? What about you? Was there anything else that I missed on that? No, yeah, I think that I think that sums it up perfectly. Yeah, it it you know it's it's not integral to the plot at all, but it is using, it's combining. You know, we've already got this idea of Bruges as somewhere that's kind of like idyllic and and beautiful and and the the subversiveness you get by by placing something like this there. Yeah. And making it Christmas time just adds to that. Just adds to that contrast. Yeah. I think you said in the last episode it's a, it's like a was it nut what was it, nutmeg? A little sprinkle of nutmeg yeah, on top. A little sprinkle of nutmeg on top. Yeah, that's what it is. Of your, of your hot is. chocolate. Well, anything else you want to say about in Bruges? It was good. Thanks good. for watching everybody. One of my one of my favorites. Love this love this movie. Can come back to it endlessly. But um and one day one day we'll do seven psychopaths because I, I'm I lost that. This this is like like you know we struggled for the what went wrong. Like this is a near perfect movie for me. It is. Um, and Seven Psychopaths is so flawed, and I think that's why <laughs> I might even love it even more. But uh, but yeah, 
great great stuff from mcdonough well guys that's all we have for you in this episode if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to leave us a review or rating. And if you haven't already, make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And next week, we'll be talking about the 1991 film Hook, directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts, Bob Hoskins, and Dame Maggie Smith. Thomas, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, man. And thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.